everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church, and this episode is part of our Cutting Room Floor series. If you're not familiar with the series, basically sometimes Nick doesn't finish his sermon on Sunday morning, but on our podcast, Nick is able to expand on his sermons and equip you with a deeper understanding. On Sunday, September 29th, Nick talked about imitating Christ with our sexuality and sexual immorality in the sermon, Not Even a Hint. You can listen to that if you haven't already on our sermons podcast or at highpointchurch.org slash sermons. Nick talked more about this sermon in podcast episode 143. This is the part two episode as promised, and you'll be hearing from Nick and Jill again. We know that this particular topic of sexual immorality can be a sensitive one and sometimes difficult to wrap your head around. If you have any questions or need any clarification, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it is Jill and Nick. We're back to talk more about sexual immorality. Part two. Part two. Um, So in Nick's sermon, uh, which you can go back and listen to, it's from Sunday, September 29th. Uh, Nick, you had gone through a number of categories and vocabulary words that are used in the Leviticus passage that talk about sexual immorality. Yeah. And further define it for us. Yeah, the longest section in the Bible that explicitly lays out do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts, of sexual mm-hmm. morality is in Leviticus Leviticus 18 to 20, and mainly chapter 18 and chapter 20. And um, one of the things I think is very interesting about that passage, as you try to figure out, because it lists a lot of things, and you tr- if you try to figure out, okay, this isn't everything. There's stuff that's not in here that's clearly sexually immoral because mm-hmm. other places in the Bible say it's sexually immoral. So what am I supposed to be paying attention to here? And I think that one of the ways to study that passage is to mm-hmm. go through and to look for all the evaluation words, like the words that, that say that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that there's a bunch of different words used. Mm-hmm. And they signify different things. Mm-hmm. And what that, I think, tells us about sexual morality is that, A, it's to be seen socially, mm-hmm. not just for you. Like, people talk about sex is like, nobody should, tell, nobody should be legislating what happens in your bedroom. Well, the problem is what happens in your bedroom affects every place where people legislate. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what happens with children? Mm-hmm. Who's going to take care of you when you're old? Right, like some of the same, like in America, politically speaking, some of the same people that say you shouldn't try to legislate what happens in my bedroom are the same people who are for very robust programs to take care of children and very robust programs to take care of older people. Mm-hmm. Marriage, which is the right context of sexuality, is supposed to solve both of those problems so that the state is never involved in them. Mm-hmm. So, like, part of the issue here is we forget that sex has extraordinary powerful social implications everywhere Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. right and so also as you work through these vocabularies things are wrong for different reasons Mm -hmm. so one thing might be sexually immoral for one reason another thing might be sexually immoral for a different reason Mm -hmm. and you might be like well why that's why is that wrong why is that wrong well it's because of the different reasons right Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm can i read the list yeah, sure. Or do you want to go down one yeah, by gonna, one? I was going to go through it. Yeah. Okay. So the, the seven word, six words I picked out, I'm not saying this is all that's there, but in the time I had to study, right, here mm-hmm. are six of the words that came up. D- dishonoring, 
rivalry, wickedness, defiling, profane, and detestable. Now, in some ways, you could listen to those and be like, well, those are just all bad words. It says it's bad. But that's not really true. I mean, it's Hmm. true they're all negative words, but they are saying something is wrong for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if you pull back and say, okay, how should I live in a way that is sexually moral? Well, the answer is you would not do things that are dishonoring. You would Mm -hmm. not do things that produced rivalry. Mm -hmm. You would not do things that were wicked, defiling, profane, or detestable, Mm -hmm. right? Or um, the word perversion is also used in Leviticus 18, Mm -hmm. a word for perversion, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got all these different words, and then you'd have to know what each one meant Mm -hmm. and where it would apply. So, Mm -hmm. for example, if you enter into a relationship between other people that should be private for them, right? That context is what's called dishonoring, right? You are relating to another person in such a way as to devalue their place in things and their identity in those things. Mm -hmm. So if a man is a husband who has a wife and you try to have sex with his wife, you're dishonoring him because you're making him unvaluable and you're attacking his rightful place in the social order. Mm-hmm. He is her husband. You don't mm-hmm. have any right to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? It, that's dishonorable. It's ignoble. Right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, rivalry is anything that will naturally in the state of humanity cause two people who aren't enemies to become enemies because they're competing over something. Yeah. Right? And so one of the things that's supposed to be wrong in that we're supposed to see wrong in the book of Genesis is when Jacob marries both Rachel and Leah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It and sounds like a terrible situation to each other. It's a really bad situation, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so, uh, and they do very vindictive things back mm-hmm. and forth. And Leah apparently emotionally struggles almost her whole life with this, where she is constantly trying to please her husband. She never feels like she's good enough. Mm-hmm. So I think it's her fourth child. She names Judah, which means, Praise the Lord. And she basically says, this time I'll praise the Lord. Before that, she's like, my husband this, my husband that. And she, because she's clearly not mm-hmm. as pretty as Rachel, Rachel's favored, but she's not having as many children. So Rachel sees Leah as a rival because Ra- R- Leah is so fertile. But Leah sees Rachel as a rival mm-hmm. because she's prettier and Jacob loves her more. Mm-hmm. And so that situation, a man marrying two sisters, what's wrong with that? Right? It's not incest. Mm-hmm. Well, what's wrong with it is it's it it's going to create rivalry. Yeah, and you could say that they need to be mature enough. And the modern we can talk about modern situations like this too, but that those people should be able to be mature enough to not be bothered or be insecure. But I think implicit it shows that humans are made to be with one person because if there's more than that, it, there, there will be rivalry. There will be rivalry. It right. doesn't work I, I with the human the heart. Why? God treats polygamy as acceptable in some circumstances, never mm-hmm. his intention, and to be gotten rid of as soon as possible in any social situation mm-hmm. is because it will always produce rivalry. Mm-hmm. Every story written about polygamy, the whole history of the world has explored the concept of rivalry, mm-hmm. right? But like, once you start understanding that rivalry is something you should pay attention to, and if you're going to be loving towards others, you have to pay attention to it, you'll start saying... Oh, wait, when I dress like this at church Mm -hmm. or in the presence of other available women around other available men, that's going to produce rivalry. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or um, even how you talk, like how you speak, like 
Yep. How you, yeah. How you talk about your other daughters-in-law yeah. in front of some daughters-in-law, <laughs> right? It produces rivalry mm-hmm. and be, and partly be, especially when the people are different genders mm-hmm. and they're within marriages, you're not literally talking about sex, but it's still sexual mm-hmm. in the sense of, do you approve of the wife of this of your sons as opposed to the, that wife of that of your mm-hmm. sons? And those are inherently sexual relationships and bound together by sexual union. It is sexual immorality to mm-hmm. be a bad mother-in-law mm-hmm. in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So obviously rivalry. Yep. Right? So then wickedness is when something's evil in itself. The mm-hmm. example given in the text is um, offering children to Moloch, mm-hmm. which would most closely be associated with abortion now. It is in itself wrong to dismember a child in the womb. Mm-hmm. Just inherently. Um, because which they is, bear God's image. That's difficult now because... There's not like absolute truth. So like most people in the culture would say, well, how is that? How do you know that's evil? Or like you're deciding it's evil. You know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense? You had, well, to, you had yeah. said it's wickedness is inherently evil. And we know that because we are imitating Christ. Right. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things to, that Christians should recognize is in scripture, God is always attacking humans for trying to relativize truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't truths that are relative right? How good the Packers are is a relative truth because it, it sh- literally changes. They're better and worse <laughs> and they're better and worse different years relative to other teams. Right. There are a lot of truths that are relative, right? A warm day in March that's 50 degrees feels much warmer than an October day or a September day that's 50 degrees because that feels cool in September. It feels really warm in March mm-hmm. relative to the other temperatures you've been experiencing. There yes. are a lot of relative truths. Whether or not a baby is a human life is not a relative truth. Right. Even right? though our culture would say it is. Right. The The introduction mm-hmm. of the concept of personhood, mm-hmm. that in order for you to be, to have all the rights of a human being, you must have attained something called personhood. And personhood means consciousness at a certain level of reasonability and so on. Things that you couldn't demonstrate about a human being when they're sleeping, Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can kill a human when they're sleeping because they're not exhibiting all the properties of personhood, right? Philosophers try to get around that, but you get where this is going. Yeah. Like, And that's one of the reasons why like Peter Singer, a, a, a supposedly Christian ethicist from, I think, Princeton. I can't remember where he taught. I don't know. But like he was, he was like, you know, we should be open to the idea that a, a parent should be able to extinguish the life of their child outside of the womb. Because... If you simply lay it down to the question of at nine months, the child is inside the womb and abortable. And literally 20 minutes later, the child is outside the womb and not abortable. Mm -hmm. It's like you believe in the incantational magical properties of the female birth canal that somehow (laughs) like coming out of a woman's birth canal, like something becomes a human being which is like incandescently foolish, right? And so that's why I respect some people who say, well, we should come up with a criteria like obvious reaction to pain Mm. or the ability to move away from like instruments of death when you put them in there. Like those all show like Mm -hmm. cognitively reactive things at least. So like, but I, I think the most straightforward criteria is, is it life? Yes. Yeah. Is it a human? Yes. Then it is a human life. Mm -hmm. Human lives all bear the image of God. 
you shall not touch this. Yeah. And all those questions go to show that we do know what is inherently wicked and we just want to justify ourselves. (laughs) And and whether or not, like if you're not a Christian, whether or not you buy that isn't the point, first of all. Right. The first point is that's what the Christian religion teaches because that's what God says in the scriptures, Mm -hmm. that human beings are constantly coming up with relativistic justifications for the things that they want to do because they don't want to submit themselves to the objective statements of God about how humans should behave and what we should believe. Mm -hmm. And I think Christians have to say, look, we can argue about who's right, but let's not pretend Christian faith doesn't teach this. Mm -hmm. Right. And so in Christian faith, there are things that are objectively wicked. One of those things would be abortion. Right in all cases in which the mother's life is not really imminently physically in danger. Right, so ectopic pregnancies, you have to abort ectopic pregnancies because the child cannot be saved, and the mother can be saved. Mm. Right, but in lots of other situations where pe- people go through the abortions, it's just mm-hmm. nothing of the sort. And I think it's still somewhere around ninety-seven percent of abortions are a hundred percent elective. Mm. So. Yeah, we should be pretty. But there's there's lots of other stuff that I think is inherently wicked mm-hmm. too. I think, obviously, rape is a mm-hmm. form of inherently wicked sexual mm-hmm. immorality. Um, I think a woman accusing a man of rape when it wasn't rape is inherently a form of wickedness. Mm-hmm. It is sexual immorality. I think that men and women going out and getting like stone cold drunk and hooking up with whoever they feel like is inherently wickedness. I also think that that would fall under defiling, mm-hmm. which is another thing that comes in. Yeah, that's the next one. Do you want to talk more about that one then? Yeah, so to, something if something's defiled, it, it's that it ruins the state of something that should be kept sacred or inviolable. Like something you shouldn't violate, you violate. Something that is sacred or for a special purpose, you use for something else. It's defiling. So one of the examples in the Bible is if a wife commits adultery or if a virgin has sex with someone she's not marrying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be called defiling. Also, if a um, if a Levite marries a woman who's not a Israelite, or for the Levites, they had to marry an Israelite virgin. They couldn't marry a widower or widow or anyone like that, even if they were an Israelite, mm-hmm. because they were a priest. Because God had... Because the symbolic mm-hmm. purity God demanded from the priesthood was higher. Yeah. He, it wasn't like he was against widows or anything. Mm-hmm. It just he wanted the priesthood to be especially pure in a certain kind of way to express that purity. And so he demanded that a priest could only marry a Israelite virgin woman. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. and then he said, like, if if a virgin wants to have sex with someone, he, she was defiled, meaning virginity was something for her husband. It is a state that she should want to be in. Mm-hmm. Of course, they didn't make women wait until their early 30s to get married either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but that was part of purity, right? And so there are things that are defiling, like certain things that are sacred that shouldn't be violated. Mm-hmm. That's an important point too, because if she's... Def- I like that you said certain things that are sacred shouldn't be defiled and that she as a person is sacred right? and the state she is in is sacred for her husband. And so mm-hmm. um, that's a greater truth. I mean, we can say she's defiled and that can sound really negative, but it, right. it implies so much worth and value in her as a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that God is very intent on the fact that a husband and wife share their fertility mm-hmm. only with each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And the only way you can make sure of that 
is that both the man and mm-hmm. the woman coming together would be in the state of virginity. Yeah. That's, that's not like a complicated idea. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're, you, you might be like, well, this is the 21st century and we have birth control and blah, blah, blah. Well, sure. We also have as many baby daddies as in the whole history of the American mm-hmm. world, like in the world. Like, it's not like, oh, we have the pill now, so we don't have illegitimate children. We, we murder a million babies a year. We still have piles of illegitimate mm-hmm. children. And the familial and social and governmental and like financial and personal wreckage that comes from that is incalculable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to be like, well, you should not talk like that because it'll hurt people's feelings. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I don't really, I'm not, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. That's not my goal. Mm-hmm. But for heaven, for like literally for God's sake. Mm-hmm. He meant to give us one to another mm-hmm. in the state of devotion. And and that's sacred. The idea that mm-hmm. people, I, Christians used to talk in this way. Part of the reason I'm seeking to be married and be a virgin when I get married is to give that as a gift to my wife or husband. Mm-hmm. I remember struggling with that in my teens and being like, you know what? I want, I hope my wife is out there somewhere doing that for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, I will, I will care about that. And sh- I think she's going to care about that. And for me to be like, well, I'm this now when I hope to live a huge long portion of my life with that person. Mm-hmm. I did not think that that was a bad form of sentimentality to think, oh, I'd like to mm-hmm. give myself in this way to my spouse. And I have never regretted it. Right. I, I felt like I was missing out at times. But that regret passed away the moment I entered into my marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. And even before that, it felt petty. And so I think that this concept of defiling, which people want to get rid of because they want to be sex positive. Mm-hmm. I'm all for sex positivity within the realm of the truth. Mm-hmm. But sex positivity as a smokescreen for sexual immorality, I'm just not for. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think any Christian can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Profane. So profane is something that is destructive to the social order and that um, t- and that takes something that should be taken seriously mm-hmm. unseriously. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I, there used to be this saying that we would have in the internships that you could take anything and if you made fun of it in the right tone of voice, you could make it seem ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? You could, I mean, just the most sacred, the most mm-hmm. meaningful things. Yeah. You can treat profanely like mm-hmm. they're worthless. And so it's, I mean, it's the reason why you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. You don't say like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. Because it literally means God who is king over all things. May he unleash the fury of his wrath upon the thing. And you don't say that when like a girl misses a spike in volleyball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's or just, there's a lot of traffic. It's or completely like, profane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't fit at all. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. Um, the examples I gave for this would be pornography, mm-hmm. um, casual sex of any kind, or casual divorce, um, childhood sexualization. Mm-hmm. Like anything that sexualizes children is horrifically profane. And I don't just mean ch- child pornography. I mean like dressing up little girls hot. You know. Getting like the sexualizing like, them. Yeah. Yeah. Even in ways they don't fully understand. Right. They know they want to look like big girls mm-hmm. and they have, and they don't really understand 
that the way the big girls are behaving is all wrapped up in their misunderstanding of their own sexuality yeah. and their sexualization of themselves. Yeah. The idea that you would allow younger girls to participate in that is just pretty mm-hmm. horrifying, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, false sexuality or gender indoctrination, like teaching little kids that, yes, Johnny, you may be a little boy mm-hmm. in terms of your body, but you might be a little girl in your mind or something like that. And to actually encourage that upon children. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking right now about like, uh, you you come across a relatively effeminate behaving boy who is struggling with living up to masculine prototypical blah blah blahs and you treat that kid carefully and with care and you try to make space for him to figure mm-hmm. out what he's doing i'm fine with that mm-hmm. I, i'm not fine with them saying well maybe you're a girl right i think they should just yeah. be like let's johnny let's just see like there's lots of ways to be a boy yeah and like let's just see Let's just let this go. Just relax. You're perfectly fine. Like right. mm-hmm. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like taking a kindergarten class and telling them, "Looks, you. Who knows who's a boy and girl in this room?" Mm-hmm. Like I think that's extremely profane. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's what that word means. It means to misuse things. That way. Yeah, and detestable. Yeah, it, something detestable is something that a ray understanding of nature would cause you to find a thing disgusting. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier perversion too. Can you talk yeah. about the difference between so those things? Okay, so this is obviously going to be uncomfortable for people to, to talk about. In Leviticus 18, the word detestable is used in relationship to homosexual sex, both men to men and women to women. And the word perversion is used in relationship to bestial sex. Both male and female are mentioned, mm-hmm. right? And I th- those things are just being slightly different things. Um, to, for something to be detestable is for it to be rightly disgusting. That mm-hmm. someone should have a reaction of disgust if they understand the natural function of something, right? So this would be where like Christians in this in this debate years ago would have said homosexual sex is, is unnatural, right? Obviously, unnatural can mean two different things. Mm-hmm. It can mean found in nature, right? An unnatural thing is something mm-hmm. that isn't found in nature, or an unnatural thing is something. That is not what that thing was made for in its natural purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And so LGBT people would say, well, we find homosexual acts in animals and nature all the time. So homosexual sex is perfectly natural. And so by that first definition, that which is found in nature, it, they're completely right about that, mm-hmm. right? By the second definition, that is the purpose of something, its end purpose, what the Greek word is the teleology, right? The teleological purpose of something that that's its nature. And so it should be used according to that nature, right? And so within Christian theology, the man is made for the woman in complementary sexual union Mm -hmm. that's laid down in Genesis 2 and throughout, right? And so the natural function of male and female sexuality is the male and femaleness of it. Therefore, the male-male version, the female-female version would be unnatural to the natural teleological function and therefore detestable, Mm -hmm. right? That is those who see nature as it should be used find the thing unnatural and it would create a reaction of disgust. And so that's the language used in Leviticus 18. That way of looking at same-sex sex sex is is consistent throughout the Bible. However, that word detestable is used for other things as well, some with unclean foods, but others, other sexual relationships that aren't okay. Yeah. And so... Um, that ex- so in uh, Romans 1, I've said this in a couple other contexts, it talks about male homosexual sex, at, but then it says, and then women 
leaving the natural function, right? Uh, move towards each other or whatever, mm -hmm. right? But there's this phrase natural function and people have debated, oh, that means lesbian sex since the context is male homosexual sex. But part of the reason the ancient world male homosexual sex was used was to have infertile sex. A lot of people that would function heterosexually would have um, pederastic sexual relationships mm -hmm. and they would be infertile because like mm -hmm. you could have sex and have a baby. That sounds great, mm -hmm. right? Women also thought that. Women also like the idea of having sex and not having babies. And so some people believe that the women abandoning the natural function isn't lesbianism, but actually women trying to inhibit their fertility mm. as much as possible. Now, if that's what it means, which is, I, I don't know if it's 50-50, you could argue that either way. But if that's the case, and there is good evidence that women do that, right? Like if you look at birth rates in the world, women who have high school educations and access to birth control, their birth rates go from about seven that is seven children per woman to about 1.2, which is extinction, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, men and women are both involved in that. Neither one really want to take care of a lot of children. Right. And so um, the the depression of fertility is a major thing for all human beings. Mm -hmm. We just want to be rich. We want to do what we want. We don't want all these kids hanging on us. We want one or two so that we can feel fulfilled. And that's it. And for women, it does. There is a real cost yeah of years of your life so that yeah that makes sense yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it's inhibiting to your career and mm -hmm. all these kinds of things right so yep. that would be detestable yeah because if the natural function of women within marriage is to embrace fertility within the union of the man and the woman and to embrace new life through their womb and they're like i'm not doing that that's detestable and so you could imagine like millions of conservative christians looking at people engaging in gay sexual mm. intercourse and saying that's detestable, right? The right use of nature causes me to feel that that's disgusting, right? And then they just live at their birth hour. They mm -hmm. don't feel like it so that they could be rich enough to go on nice vacations and having leather seats and moonroofs in their cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But like, it's one thing, it's one thing to be like angry about this thing or that thing. But like, you always have to remember as a Christian, God is no respecter of persons. There is no partiality with him. Mm -hmm. And so you just got to be really careful. The fact that you're in the majority group is no safety. Mm -hmm. And so heterosexual Christians in marriages that feel like, well, I'm perfectly sexually moral. My encouragement as a pastor is go deeper. Yeah. Go deeper into what sexual fullness means, what mm -hmm. sexual faithfulness means what sexual completeness means, what sexual teleology means. Like, go deeper. What yeah. does modesty really mean? What does sexual fulfillment really mean? What does sexual union really mean? And as you go deeper in these things, not only will you be less likely to engage in sexual immorality, mm -hmm. you'll be less likely to engage in sexual hypocrisy, and you'll be more, more likely to experience something like the fullness of the fulfillment God is interested in, either in the sexual union of your marriage or in the fulfillment of your of yourself as a sexual being, as a celibate single person, walking mm -hmm. with God in everything, yeah. and engaging in self-control. Because sexual faithfulness always involves self-control. Mm -hmm. Any sexuality that is not exerting self-control is not a fragrant offering. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so... I think that that's really critical. Mm -hmm. You want it, you had in your notes on first Timothy five, two. Um, I think 
as as we're getting into um you were just talking about we were talking about sexual immorality and then moving to sexual morality and what that looks like do you want to talk more about first timothy 5 2 yeah so um i remember some years ago reading a book uh, called raising purity by mm-hmm. i want to say it's gerald helstead or i can't i don't know his last it starts with an H. Yeah, you're starts right. with an H. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like people, Christians are always saying, well, how far can you go? And, you know, young people be like, mm-hmm. oh, can I, can we make out? Can we grope each other? Is it just anything but intercourse is okay? Um, or anything but fertile intercourse is okay? Or like, what, what are we talking about here? And so Helstead says, well, there is a place in the Bible that would give us a pretty straightforward standard. And so in 1 Timothy 5, 2, it says this, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Mm-hmm. And so what Helstead argues here is he says, look, this is what you're allowed to do. Any woman who isn't your wife, you could say any man who's not your husband, mm-hmm. you have the right to do anything with her that you would do with your sister. If the thing isn't something that you could do with your sister, then it's by definition sexual. Because why won't you do it with mm-hmm. your sister? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. The reason you'll kiss your sister on the cheek and you don't kiss your sister with tongue is because the second is a sexual act and the first is not. One's mm-hmm. an act of affection merely and the other is an act of sexual affection, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a great litmus test and that's very uncomfortable, but it is the most objective, clear, and straightforward litmus test I've ever come across. Yeah. And so... Um, we talk more about that in Escaping Babel yeah and so i can we can link that in the show notes but i think also if people are wise about one of the things that people don't sometimes want to realize is your whole body is set up to have sex and everything about any kind of sexual physical affection is designed to lead to sex and so the idea that you could engage in stuff and not have sex is probably nonsense in almost every case it's ridiculous nonsense especially if you really 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 like somebody Mm. and so um, if you have a lot of self-control, that progression could last more than three months. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons why you should put off as, as just as long as you possibly can is because your whole body's designed to move to sex mm-hmm. with everybody. That's why you can't. That's why you can't like French kiss somebody who's not your wife. It's not adultery, but the whole thing is set up to be a continuum that leads to sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's why it's stupid. Right. So I would say for Christians, the best thing to do to not lie to yourself hmm. is to start with as effectively f- like objective a criteria as anything you do that it's not that you can't do with your mother, or your sister is sexual by nature. Mm-hmm. What sexual rights do you have to a woman who isn't your wife? Right. Okay. So the secular answer would be this, whatever she consents to. Right. That's an, that we got to remember yeah. that's the, that's the irreligious answer. That's the worldly answer. Whatever she consents to. The biblical answer is whatever God consents to. Mm-hmm. And God consents to precisely nothing <laughs> until she's your wife yeah. or yeah. until he's your husband. Mm-hmm. At that point, then he gives his uh, like unlimited consent. He's just like, okay, now do as much as you want. Now, I, I'm not saying that you can do whatever act you want. There are still acts within marriage that I think are defiling and detestable, mm-hmm. but not in terms of frequency or depth, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that that would be helpful. But again, like just some of these thoughts are, are you willing to th- try to think clearly or are you only willing to think selfishly? Mm-hmm. Cause if you're only willing to think selfishly, like 
you're going to come up with loopholes that you think work and you're going to do whatever you want. Yeah. And what all, what this sexual immorality does is it it affects the whole community Mm -hmm. because when people are doing what they want sexually, they're not being driven by their hormones towards making a decision about marriage. Yeah. Because if you really like somebody and you want to have sex with them and you can't have sex with them, either you're going to marry them or you're going to break up with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Every time I run into couples that were like, oh, we dated for seven years. I was like, you were having sex. Yep. Just always mm-hmm. is the case. Mm-hmm. And so use that sexual tension and energy to cause you to have deeper conversations to really determine whether or not you want to mingle souls with this mm-hmm. other person permanently and then make a decision and then follow through with that decision. Yeah. And see the, that tension as mm-hmm. um, God's grace to move you toward the purpose that he has. Yeah. For sex. God wants yeah. you to, yeah. He wants you to use your sexual energy to decide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Satan and your flesh wants you to use your sexual energy to gratify yourself. Mm-hmm. And undermine the intimacy of your relationship. Because before you're married... What sex tends to do is decrease the amount of interpersonal intimacy mm-hmm. growth because you're not talking because you're having sex mm-hmm. and you're not really having these like hours and hours and hours of deep intimate discussions and f- personal formation with each other and the mingling of souls in deep conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, not only is that just a fact and not only is it just obvious, but like actual sociological studies have shown that to be the case. Mm-hmm. The earlier sex is inserted into a relationship, the less intimate the relationship tends mm-hmm. to be mentally Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. I think one of the things to remember as a Christian, we can end with this. God is always working more angles than you think. Mm-hmm. He is always right in the end on a level you can't perceive. And if you try to outsmart him, you will be shown to be the fool in the end. But even if you are the simple, like you're not that bright and you do what he says, obedience tends to lead towards goods and blessings that you never could have ordered for yourself had you tried to work it out yourself. So trusting God and then figuring out why God asks, asks you to do these things is what faith looks like. Not trusting God and making him show you through pain why he does these things is just not what you want. Yeah, that's, that's good. And so it all, it all mm-hmm. still comes back to, are you willing to, through faith, be an imitator of God? Are you willing to walk in the path of love and are willing, are you willing to offer yourself as a fragrant offering that is burned to ashes, but creating a beautiful fragrance that that's from uh, Ephesians five, one and two. Mm-hmm. And that has to be the primary commitment. If it is, you can walk in these things. If it's not, you won't have the strength or the will. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, okay. Nick. Hope this is helpful for you guys. Yeah. And we'll come back on some of these sub subjects in the future, hopefully, but yeah, our goal is for people to not um, be without the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. And so I hope this really helps you guys. Yeah. And if you have questions further on this, you can email us at podcast at highboychurch.org. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.